Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real Gym Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Sadly enough, the NBA season is over. The Warriors are the NBA champions again with a four-game sweep. So while we do not have real NBA games until October. There is still an absolute ton to talk about, and I wanted to have on Ben Golver of Sports Illustrated to do so. He covered all four games in person for SI, and also I love his perspective on basically everything else. And for those of you who listen to the podcast that Ben and I do together, we get into some interesting stuff with LeBron and free agent options, and we go on some riffs, and I, I think you'll really enjoy it. I, I love, always love that our conversations go in different directions. This episode is brought to you by Hymns, wellness brand for men. You can get a trial month of Hymns for $5 while supplies last. You go to www.4hymns.com slash real, and you can check it out. Also, True Car, great place to buy new and used cars. And while this isn't a true ad in, in that sense, another really important thing you can do that I wanted to mention at the outset, and I'll talk about this a little bit later too, is there's a less than five minute survey that we're doing right now to get audience demographics for ad sales. And go to podcast1.com slash my survey or podcast1.com and just click on the survey banner. Either way, it works. Great way to help out Real Jam Radio. The conversation with Ben runs, I think it's about 45 minutes. On the shorter side, I had to catch him before his flight out of Cleveland, but I love the conversation. I think you will too. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Danny. We're in the afterglow uh, of the Warriors' third title in four years, right? We are. And I mean, this is a definite dynasty, especially when you consider that the year the Warriors did not win the championship was their best regular season. So, I mean, this is really a remarkable four-year run. We do not yet know like where the, where the story goes from here. And it's always hard when you don't know the endpoints to kind of put everything in context. But it is a pretty remarkable stretch, especially when you consider the inauspicious beginnings with this team. Because while, of course, they added Kevin Durant and he transformed these couple of years, you know, the Warriors were a largely irrelevant franchise other than the two years of Run TMC and the We Believe year for decades. No doubt. I mean, you you know their their painful history better than I do, and I'm sure you've got a book people could read to to learn about it. But what sticks out to me is the famous tweet of of Steph saying, "We're going to get this right." And you know, when you look back on that tweet when they win the first title, uh, the thought is, "Wow, you know, he really delivered." 
But now when you look back on the fact that they've won three and four, there's no end in sight. And if they win next year, Danny, they're going to be the first NBA team since the 1960s Celtics to win four titles in five years. That just doesn't happen. And that's not what Steph predicted when he said he was going to get things right in Golden State, right? I mean, who could have imagined? And I think there was people asking Steve Kirk, sort of what was your wildest dreams when you were hired uh, to Golden State? And I'm sure that even someone who's won as often as he has and, and reached the heights and, and the consistency of excellence, you know, in basically every role the league has, whether it's player, coach, broadcaster, executive, and so on, he couldn't have imagined this either. And I think it, it's very easy to get lost in this kind of Twitter drumbeat of, oh, it's boring. Oh, they were supposed to win. It was inevitable and all of that. Uh, but what they've done here over the last four years has been insane. And even over the last couple of years, I mean, what jumped out to me last night when Kevin Durant wins his second consecutive uh, you know, finals MVP award is how rare an accomplishment that is. Uh, you know, only six guys have won back-to-back. Only 11 guys in NBA history have won multiple finals MVP awards. As he said, he's just getting started. And yet, you know, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and these Warriors together are already among sort of the, the best teams the NBA has seen. And the narrative of the Warriors being destined for this in terms of even this season, I think is a little bit overstated when you consider, A, the injury risk that pervades every season, and what we saw this year specifically. I mean, Steph Curry, grade two MCL sprain late in the regular season, misses the entire first round, comes back, and I believe it was game two of the second round. And also remember, the Rockets were specifically built to go after the Warriors were built properly. I think Daryl Morey did a fabulous job and was, I don't think vindicated is the right word because he didn't need to be vindicated, but I thought that it is backed up by what happened in the series. And while certainly Chris Paul getting injured affected the series, Andre Guadalla getting injured did as well. And so they faced only really one super high quality team, but that high quality team gave them everything they had and very well could have, and some would argue should have won the series. Yeah, and really showed some some ugly seams. You know, the finger pointing between Duran and Draymond, the kind of uh, tension, you know, between Kevin Duran and Steph Curry for control of the offense in that series. You know, I wrote this after Game 7, but the Warriors didn't celebrate that victory like you would expect a Game 7 win on the road. It, they sort of described it as if they had survived a near-death experience. You know, I think they were almost shaken more than they were elated. Uh, Uh, in the aftermath of that victory. And I think that says a lot. You know, I don't want to go overboard and talk about, oh, they overcame all this adversity because, look, I mean, they're a super team. They should be winning the title. Anything besides the championship, I think, would have been viewed uh, correctly as a disappointment. But I was struck by Draymond Green on the podium, you know, after they finished off the sweep, where he was running through all of the injuries that guys had suffered over the course of the season. And you mentioned Steph's, but Draymond pointed out Clay's, and that one gets forgotten. He pointed out his own uh, you know, missing time. And he went to Andres, as you mentioned as well. And he kind of went down the list, Pat McCaw. I mean, there was an awful lot of guys who got injured on this team. And I think kind of the moral of Golden State's story is they've got so much talent that there was always, you know, kind of capable hands ready to pick up the slack. Uh, but those kinds of injuries can throw off even, you know, a dominant team, especially one that kind of struggled with complacency issues, I thought, all season long. And so that part shouldn't get lost in their story. I agree. The inevitability stuff, it's going too far. I do think it was somewhat inevitable that they would beat the Cavs. 
But I think that said more about what happened to the Cavs here over the last 12 months than it did about the state of the Warriors. I've been thinking a lot about the scope of the league and how the general managers reacted to last season's Warriors and how they will react to this season's Warriors. Because last year, other than the Rockets, and Dan Feldman wrote a very good piece on this, a lot of teams recoiled and said, okay, you know, like the Cavs are the most famous example of this. There were other factors in play, including Kyrie Irving basically saying from what it sounds like, I don't want to be here anymore. But the Cavs decided, okay, if Kyrie Irving is going to be gone and we're going to trade him, we're going to trade him for pieces that are not going to help us as much this season. I'm sure they expected more from Isaiah and more from Jay Crowder than they got. But the key piece in that trade was the num- was the Nets pick, which became the number eight pick. And they didn't ever trade that for something else. You know, they, they kept that as an arrow in the quiver for the next Cavs team, whenever that is. And that could be next year. It could be five years. We don't know. And I think overall around the league, you kind of saw the, those holding patterns. Some of that was just because there wasn't as much money around the league and everything else. And what I'm very interested in, and this is a lot of this is going to be, you know, kind of motive means opportunity, is how everybody responds. I mean, I think a lot of it is going to be where LeBron James chooses to go, where Paul George chooses to go, everything like that. But I think the war- I think you can kind of see, okay, the Warriors are, are going to start next season as the, at full strength as the best team unless something crazy huge happens. But I think teams that have high ceilings can start to look at, okay, we have a shot now and that shot is only going to get better over the next couple of years unless they find someone who can like become a part of their best five-man lineup. Yeah, can I reframe this a little bit, Danny? Because I think it, it might not necessarily be about how the teams respond, but it might be how the superstars respond. Because to me, the the signal, uh, single, single biggest uh, moment of last year's offseason was Chris Paul's decision to not cash out hundred plus million dollars uh, and to basically take a one-year deal with Houston so that he could chase, uh, you know, Golden State. I mean, that, that decision laid the groundwork for this entire season. If he hadn't done that, Golden State would have looked an awful lot more inevitable. If he had just taken the conventional route of, give me my max money, I'm going to stay with the Clippers, right? I, they would not have been challenged nearly as much as they uh, were. And I think for LeBron, that's the story of the 2018 offseason in a nutshell. His prioritization list, is he willing to compromise at all in terms of his salary, money-wise, length-wise, uh, or what have you, to get himself onto a super-duper team? Because I don't think they, it can be constructed in Cleveland. I think they've just got too much dead weight with the contracts. They don't have enough other talent in their base to sort of build around them. That Nets pick, like you mentioned, I mean, it's not the number one pick, you know, and so that its trade value is probably not going to get LeBron to a place where he can feel comfortable that he's going to be able to run out there next year with, you know, four all-stars or something along those lines. So the question to me is, is he ready to do what Durant did and and take a little bit of a discount? Uh, Is he ready to do what he did when he went to Miami uh, in in 2010 and and take a little discount? Is he willing to sacrifice personally uh, to improve his shot at, uh, you know, being in championship mode, which is said, which is what he said last night he wants to be in, or is he going to sort of insist on, you know, being the number one guy in his situation, no matter what being the highest paid player, uh, on his team, kind of no matter what, I think that will determine how tough Golden State's route is more than anything else next year. Uh, because if he's willing to work with the Rockets and find a way to make that work, if he's willing to sort of 
put it together with the Spurs somehow and, and make that work, I think that becomes a much bigger threat than basically any other team out there if he's just sort of you know going and, and taking the LeBron show with him, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking about it. And I think the other way that LeBron could have his cake and eat it too, I think the best way for him to do that is theoretically with the Lakers if he can get somebody else to join. And then they do what happened in 2014, which is if it goes to the Lakers, they can keep their young guys. And then eventually they trade some of those young guys to get veterans. And so the most logical path there would be LeBron, Paul George, or close to, you know, or, you know, somebody of that ilk. And then they could, like, theoretically, if the Spurs were interested, trade some of their young guys for Kawhi. Like, that would be a way that this could happen. They would still then have their room mid-level exception to get a center or whatever else they really needed. So, like, there are some ridiculous scenarios. And as you know, as well as I do, we have to consider those because that happens now. I mean... I've been an example of that, of like the, okay, you need to, you need to paint all of the possibilities and work from there. And an underappreciated part of the LeBron story is that his player option for next season is at basically the same number in terms of 2018-19 salary only as it would be if he signs as a free agent, either in Cleveland or somewhere else. And so he would be sacrificing money long-term, probably in terms of, you know, dealing with risk at the bare minimum. But it's not the same, especially with him, because he's now, I guess you could say he had a high-profile injury. It's a very different type of thing than missing games (laughs) and everything else. But him doing what his banana boat buddy Chris Paul did is very different from Paul George because A, Paul George's option is substantially less than he can make on the open market. And B, Paul George hasn't made the money and that LeBron has. So it's a different kind of risk for him. Oh, exactly. And this is what I mean about why the players, we should be looking at this through a player's lens rather than a team lens, because of course, all the teams are going to be out there and thinking, how can we put these you know stars together? How can we recruit them? But ultimately it comes down to the player's decision. Like, I think LeBron and Chris's thought process would probably be more similar than, like you're saying, with a guy like Paul George or even a player like Kawhi Leonard, who's sort of, you know, in, in the quote unquote pre agency where maybe he can, you know, dictate where he gets traded if he's unhappy in San Antonio or he can cash in and get that super duper big, you know, contract uh, extension. You know, those guys are going to be in different spots. And uh, for LeBron, that is a challenge as he tries to construct his next home is can he get everybody on the same page? And, he already got burned once by this. We saw it. You know, he didn't have Kyrie Irving on the exact same page with him. You know, those guys had different interests at different points of their careers, and LeBron couldn't keep the, the ship together. I mean, I think he bears some of the responsibility for Kyrie wanting out of Cleveland because, you know, he probably, you know, cast a shadow, you know, over everything there. And then also, he's older than Kyrie, you know, and so I think that's part of the, the calculus here, too, is. Uh, you know, Kyrie wants to sort of, you know, plot out the next five or six years of his life. And I'm not sure LeBron or even a guy like Chris Paul last summer are in that long ter- long term thinking mode. Right. It's more like what's our immediate need here? We need to find a way to beat Golden State. These guys are that good. And I think that, to me, that's going to determine what LeBron ends up doing in free agency. I think. Uh, he's got to find the right balance between you know be, feeling like he's fairly compensated and having maximized chance to beat the Warriors because they're not going anywhere. I did think it was interesting during his post-game press conference after Game Four, where he pointed out that Floyd Mayweather is higher on the highest-paid athletes list than LeBron is, and he knew his exact spot on the list, which I guess was sixth, and he knew Floyd was first. I mean, clearly. Money is on his mind. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, that's on a negative connotation, but I think he's sort of aware 
of you know where he stands on all of these things, and that didn't necessarily, to me, sound like a guy who was going to be willing to you know sacrifice in some unusual manner to get himself onto a super team. It more sounded like the guy who you know wanted to get every last dollar that was coming to him. And I mean, and maybe not every last dollar because that would have to come in Cleveland, and there there are some risks there. Lots more to talk about with Ben Golliver, but first a message from our friends at Hims. As somebody in his early 30s, it is certainly something I'm becoming more cognizant of that two-thirds of men start losing their hair by the age of 35. That is a massive proportion. And the fact of the matter is, it is substantially better to keep the hair you have than replace the hair you've lost. It's cost-effective, it's easier, which is incredibly important. And one of the many things that Hims does is work along those bases. So it connects you with real doctors and medical grade solutions to treat hair loss. These are well-done generics, prescription solutions backed by science. Don't have to deal with waiting rooms or awkward doctor visits. And how you can check it out, you go to www.forhims.com slash real. It's a URL in this one, R-E-A-L. And you can get a trial month of hymns for just $5 while supplies last. You can check the website for full details. Again, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash real. Real, like real GM. And I'm so happy that it is easier and destigmatized to make these products available because it's about quality of life. And I'm thrilled to have hymns as a sponsor. So check it out. Hymns, a new wellness brand for men. As an aside, the single funniest outcome to me, and funny is not important, but it amuses me, would be LeBron forcing his way to Boston and forcing Kyrie out. Like, I think that would just, just in terms of overall, just everything would be the funniest thing. And the, and there actually is a little bit of groundwork laid for that if Kyrie is reluctant to, you know, if they're questioning whether he's going to resign, because that was actually one of my biggest criticisms of that trade from Boston's perspective. One, there were the issues with Kyrie's health and his durability, which ended up rearing their head, unfortunately, because he had a wonderful year before he got hurt. But also the idea that you only had two years of team control and with the structure of everything, Kyrie was not going to sign an extension. And so there was some real risk involved for the Celtics when you consider their massive upside. If they theoretically lost Kyrie Irving for nothing, that they still would have a damn good team because Ainge has drafted incredibly well and he's managed the cap and they got Gordon Hayward without giving up much. And the, you know, it is the Celtics are in this interesting place. And so that I just had to throw out that possibility because I thought you'd appreciate it. Oh, no, it's it's hilarious, especially because, I mean, the venom that the Celtics fans have had for LeBron over the more than the last decade has just been so intense. Probably, maybe not even probably, I, I would say certainly the fan base has sort of been against him the most. But it also kind of reminds you of the whole Isaiah Thomas versus Kyrie debates where Celtics fans were all in on Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, during his sort of like, you know, top five MVP finish season. And then as soon as the trade happened, they, like they completely reversed course. And, you know, now Kyrie was their guy. Uh, I wonder, could they sw- you know, swallow their pride, their Celtics pride, and welcome LeBron after all of their postseason battles and all of their uh, frustration with him? I mean, that would be you know awful hard to uh, to stomach, I would imagine. But you know, you look at like Danny Ainge. I mean, he should do that, right? Like, if he has the opportunity to kind of swing it so that you could bring in uh, LeBron, and if it costs you Kyrie, you know, so be it. I mean, I think that the the way that Brad Stevens talked about LeBron during these playoffs too. Boy, I mean, could he have shown any more respect to LeBron? I I don't want to call it a recruiting pitch, but if it was one, it would have been a really, really good one. I mean, 
Brad Stevens was basically disgusted by how good at basketball LeBron James is. And I'm sure LeBron heard each and every one of those quotes. It kind of goes back to the old pop thing where, you know, pop always lays it on really thick when he talks about LeBron. And it kind of makes you wonder if he's, you know, trying to, you know, play the long game and, and get him down there to San Antonio. But, you know, it's almost so mind blowing. I mean, to really just imagine LeBron in the green jersey. And, uh, I mean, I. I could understand why casual fans would think that that would be, you know, bad for the league, but it would also just sort of break my brain. I mean, we're so used to him going against Boston. It's almost, you know, impossible to think he would join the dark side. It would be a remarkable thing. But when you think about it from a basketball perspective, there are a lot of ways you could construct that team where they would be kind of avant-garde NBA. They could do positionless defense, assuming that Al Horford didn't have to be moved to make the deal happen. They could go traditional as well. And they would have a, a just an absolute ton of talent because remember, Boston could, you would have to make this deal theoretically happen where Cleveland's getting enough to facilitate but they don't have to get as much as the Clippers got in the Chris Paul trade. I actually thought it was amazing, you know, how much the Clippers got considering the leverage. So I, it would be interesting to see how that worked out. And theoretically, they w- how this would probably work is the Celtics would be sending Kyrie to a third team. They would use those assets or other assets to send to Cleveland as compensation for facilitating the trade. And then there would be some salary matching in place. But it's actually, theoretically, the funniest thing is I, I've been writing for months now about how the Celtics don't have salary back ballast and assuming they don't want to move Gordon Hayward also Gordon Hayward would be very hard to trade right now with everything you know because people unless they have a really clear medical report it would be hilarious if the most logical way for them to clear a cap would be Kyrie Irving <laughs> well yeah I mean certainly there'd be a lot of teams interested in taking him on despite whatever red flags are out there with his health I mean uh, th- there's no doubt yeah I mean he I was an all-nba the- player this year I mean Kyrie Irving oh, yeah Kyrie he- Irving was a top he- six guard in the NBA this year yeah, and look, I mean, this guy is crazy marketable, too. You know, there's a lot of teams who would just die to have a face of a franchise like Kyrie because he's going to be in an Uncle Drew movie. I mean, his sneakers sell really well. He's just always high up on the uh, all-star votes. I mean, he's just the kind of guy who sells tickets. You know, there's not – I mean, he's probably in, like, what, like the top seven in terms of, like, star power in the league. But I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the basketball fit in Boston because – there have been a lot of rumors about Philly, but I think if you stack those two rosters side by side and you say which one is better for LeBron from a basketball standpoint only, I think it's very clearly Boston. You know, I think there are some fit questions in terms of who has the ball uh, with Simmons and LeBron. Simmons' lack of shooting would be an issue playing alongside LeBron. It's not going to be a crippling issue. They would find a way to figure it out, but it's not ideal. And then playing with a center and Embiid, I mean, LeBron in his best teams has really not played with, you know, a high usage ball dominant kind of turnover prone center. And those aren't the only words we should use to describe Joel Embiid because he's an unbelievable player and, you know, he's a elite defense unto himself, but those are characteristics that are just outside the norm of what LeBron's been used to, uh, especially over these last five or six years in terms of who you would play with. Whereas in Boston, you could just cycle the roster basically completely interchangeably around them. You'd have a lot of young guys to take on the toughest defensive, uh, you know, responsibilities and they would, you know, match up very well with Golden State. I mean, you could just construct the lineups right now, you know, LeBron, Tatum, Brown, you know, Horford, and then, you know, whatever guard you want to throw out there. I mean, that's a pretty nice look, uh, you know, against the Warriors. Uh, it's just a cleaner from a matchup standpoint. 
And I also think, you know, Boston could potentially offer him, you know, a greater ability to just sort of coast, you know, through the regular season. I don't think his burden would need to be as large uh, as it would be some other places, uh, you know, in free agencies. Look, besides the fact that it's Boston, there's an awful lot of reasons why any superstar, you know, would want to go play there. You know, it, it, it's sort of the baggage factor, I think, that could hold, could hold this back because otherwise the table's set pretty well. And that gets into what could be the most interesting element of Kevin Durant's legacy should it go there. And you could really credit this to LeBron as well, depending on how you want to structure it. Is this idea that players don't need to be as scared of the response, that they should do what is best for them and everything else will sort itself out? I mean, sure, there will be noise and there will be people who are saying that Kevin Durant's career or his legacy or whatever is tainted by this. And, you know, maybe maybe there is something to that. I mean, I certainly think winning a title with the Thunder would have meant something very different than what he did with the Warriors. But the overarching thing here, and, and I was reading Cal Kami's excellent piece for The Athletic about how the Hamptons Five meeting and all that stuff, and I want to talk a little bit about Steph's role in that. But I think the biggest part of, of that that I came away with was Kevin Durant wanted to be on the Warriors. And I'm sure he knew the consequences as somebody who is very in tune with what other people are saying. And he just went, that's what I want. Screw it. And there has been a long time where players have been scared of that, of the, you know, doing what is best for them because of legacy, because of what other people are going to say. And there are issues either way with it, but I think it's good for people, you know, just like in any other branch of life, nobody's going to be like, oh, well, you went to the company that had offered you that, you know, gave you the best opportunity to succeed in a city that you wanted to live in or anything like that. I think it's fair for fans to get a little bit more pragmatic about the fact that these are human beings that are making decisions that affect not only them, but their families and their lives. Yeah, no question. And I mean, the fact that they're facing just constant rings or busts, you know, criticism, you know, day in and day out. And like, you know, they're hearing it not only from fans, but also, you know, the companies that they work with. And you know, I'm sure their their family members and everything else. I, I think it leads to sort of a, a mercenary mindset. And I never had a problem with what Kevin Durant did. And I'd say this, like, I think I would respect LeBron more if he constructed uh, a reality in which he joined up on a super team rather than if he went back and sort of played this hero ball, you know, another season of hero ball in Cleveland where it's like, I have to drag this whole team. Can I get them through the Eastern Conference finals? And, you know, everyone's saying, oh, yeah, him taking a – this Cavs team to the finals was one of his greatest accomplishments. He won the East. And it's like, you know, I think there's one standard here. The standard is trying to win a title. I don't know if the standard is, you know, how you know great you can play through adverse circumstances uh, if there are better uh, options out there. And to me, I don't think you should lose points if it's easy. Like if you're playing great team basketball and you have a lot of talented players, winning should come easy. And I think that there should be just as much respect, if not more respect paid to making basketball look simple rather than, you know, kind of plague through difficult circumstances and coming out the other side. It's, it's kind of like the debate between, you know, Russell Westbrook style versus Stephen Curry style, right? It's like, you know, Westbrook is always going to have a certain element of fans who relate to uh, just sort of his pure, you know, force of will. Whereas Steph, you know, it's just a different way to do it. You know, he, he's kind of unlocked this key with, with the three point shot off the dribble where uh, he makes it look so easy. He can dance and celebrate, even though he's the smallest guy on the court. And there's really no answer 
uh, to the way that Steph plays, and it's a more successful manner than what Westbrook's been able to do during his career. You know, to me, which one of those is preferable? There should be no question. It should be Curry's approach. I mean, just you know, look at the results. And uh, you know, I guess that's why I go back when when I look at the options in front of LeBron. To me, the most disappointing option would be to say, "Eh, I can't really talk myself into any of these scenarios." I'm not willing to kind of go to the West because it's going to be a tougher road. Uh, everyone here in Cleveland loves me. My family is kind of in high school. You know, the, the kids are, and they like it here. I'm just going to run it back whether or not we can really make a big upgrade. Maybe someone gets traded and you bring in another kind of supporting cast member just to kind of shake things up. Uh, to me, that would be the most disappointing result this summer because I think LeBron deserves better than that. I think he should think bigger than that. And if we had said a couple of years ago, you know, oh, LeBron at age 33, he's going to, you know, stick around in Cleveland and all that stuff, it would, it would have been different, but he's still an MVP caliber player. So this isn't his basketball mortality, his co- basketball convalescence. He's still a, a massively relevant player to deciding championships. And so for him to basically get there. And there's also, it's amazing how people can sometimes compartmentalize this, and it gets frustrating for me, because the narrative of LeBron in the East, certainly it is an accomplishment. I do not want to discount it. But if you're going to make that a thing, you also have to talk about the weakness of the opposition that he has played to maintain this dominance of the East, both through just teams that were poorly constructed, not having a lot of the star talent. I mean, I think this year it was 10 or 11 out of the 15 All-NBA players were in the Western Conference. And of the guys that were in the Eastern Conference that were All-NBA talents, they weren't on teams mostly that he played against in the playoffs. So, like, I mean, Kyrie was hurt. Giannis was not on a team that the Cavs played. And so certainly, you know, it's you play who's in front of you, and I am not discounting yet. Eight NBA finals in a row is unbelievable. But being the king of a secondary kingdom is great for a lot of players, but I don't think it's great for a player who is in the conversation for the greatest player of all time and is, in my opinion, I'm not an NBA historian, strong, probably the clearest choice for the second best player of all time. Yeah, I mean, LeBron is not in that end stage quite yet, but he reminds me a little bit of sort of late career Kobe where you know he's so used to doing it the way that he's done it and having everything on his terms that that's where he's comfortable and that that late in their respective careers – like for Kobe, for example, to like make it work with Steve Nash or Dwight Howard was asking an awful lot, you know, in terms of an adjustment factor for him because he'd already, you know, been accustomed to playing a certain way for, you know, 10 plus years. That's really tricky. I think for LeBron, he had the ball in his hands so much this season and, you know, he played so much this season in terms of never missing a game, leading the league in minutes and all of that that trying to make it work with like the Sixers core or the Rockets would require a major adjustment. And I guess what I'm hoping from LeBron is that the pain from this sweep and realizing how big the gap is between what he was able to do in Cleveland and where Golden State is right now and where Kevin Durant is right now will prompt him to have one of those kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like come to Jesus moments. Remember after the Mavericks uh, finals loss, he was hiding away for weeks. You know, the, the, the famous story goes, and he's sort of rethinking all aspects of his life. And, you know, he's coming back and, you know, Miami has this new offensive strategy sort of built around him. And he's finally able to break through and win the title. I'm kind of hoping for another one of those because I think as admirable and sort of, you know, martyr ball as it was for him to play all 82, lead the league in minutes, lead the league in postseason minutes, carry them through multiple game sevens. 
against teams that were good but not great teams, you know, in Indiana and Boston. I think he needs to just sort of adopt some of best practices. And best practices say, even if you're an amazing athlete at age 33, 34, you should be playing less. You should have more support around you. Uh, you should be picking your spots more uh, during the regular season. You should be participating on a team that has, you know, three or four star level players uh, rather than guys like Jeff Green and J.R. Smith, you know, no disrespect intended. And I think that's how LeBron's mindset, uh, you know, should adjust this summer. And I hope that the sweep kind of, you know, is finally what breaks him through the, those mental walls of, of his own comfort zone, because I don't think LeBron-centric philosophy, where he's the alpha and the omega, as remarkable as he is, and he's the best 33-year-old NBA player you know we've ever seen, I don't think that's enough to get it done here. I mean, and not just against Golden State. I think if Houston had been in the finals, what we saw from the Cavaliers, you know, over the course of that series, I think the Cavaliers would have been, you know, run off the court pretty quickly by the Rockets uh, in the finals, especially assuming that, you know, Chris Paul is healthy. And I think you can even make the case there's other teams in the Western Conference uh, that would have pushed Cleveland pretty hard had they been the team in the finals. You know, I think it's just sort of a warping effect because they did get in through, a, you know, a pretty easy path through the East. So uh, I guess long story short, I hope that, you know, look, I keep saying LeBron should think big. And I think part of that is understanding that at this point of his career, doing less could be more, you know, and I think that's a really tough thing to sell to a guy who's used to being the king and he's the best player in the league and he still is. But I think that's the right mantra and the right approach right now. I agree with you. And I think what is lingering with me a little bit, and there are a lot of complicated interpersonal dynamics that led to what happened, but you think about the way that Cleveland's team changed from the end of the 2017 finals to now. So Kyrie, we don't know exactly why he wanted out, but he wanted out. They made it happen. And it sounds like LeBron was opposed to that. So I'm not going to blame him for it. So they brought in Isaiah, they brought in Jay Crowder, and whether it was, I I think a lot of it was personality-based, I think a lot of it was also, and this is one of those weird decisions, and you talked about how LeBron played all 82 games, and I think he did that because he wanted to, Isaiah came back too early, and I honestly think that this entire story is very different, the outcome is is very similar, but the, the entire story is very different, if Isaiah takes another month or two, and just says, okay, I'm not all the way back yet, and then at that point, because part of what made that relationship so strained was that they had to play Isaiah a lot, and he sucked. He was awful at the beginning of the season. <laughs> and so it's a lot harder, you know, especially because Isaiah is such a prideful guy and has been, you know, even since he was the last pick in the draft. Like, he's, you know, that that is what led Isaiah Thomas to be the player that he became in the NBA. But having him out there when he couldn't deliver physically created a lot of problems for this team. And, you know, maybe the Jay Crowder stuff still would have been there. And so what I found interesting, and a lot of this is supply rather than anything, it might be supply more than demand, is the way that this team turned into LeBron and the LeBronettes. So the players they brought in that succeeded and the players they brought in that failed, all of them really, other than Jordan Clarkson, were guys that made sense around a team, you know, like kind of a a LeBron-centric universe, so where everything revolves around him. They didn't bring in anybody that would challenge him as a playmaker that would, you know, basically, that w- they all brought in a lot of guys like George Hill, and I thought those were good additions who fit in. Larry Nance is a great example of this. Like, Larry Nance 
is amplified by LeBron rather than the other way around. And so you, it's hard to get those types of transformative talents during the season unless they're as bad as Jordan Clarkson is. And I wonder what informs that. Was that just who was available or was it LeBron kind of in, at a certain moment being like, well, that's what works for me. And so it, they all kind of ran together. And so the team made more sense than where they were before. And I wrote this actually at the time for for the Athletic Cleveland but it's but it was this this challenge of like well how good are they actually going to be because you know they they ended up winning the east and also i think an underappreciated part of this is i don't think cleveland would have won the east if boston was even remotely healthy and so yeah, he, get, he gets this I, year I added to the total, but I think it, it, it is kind of uh, as great as LeBron was. He was superhuman. He was the playoff MVP. It is a little bit weird to think about where it's like, you know, his greatness was enough to overcome what was in front of them, but the Sixers are still figuring this out. The Celtics were missing guys that they couldn't replace. And those are part of the story too. Yeah, I think for LeBron's legacy, the streak of the finals, having that intact, you know, that's a big win. I think obviously losing the way that they lost, you know, that's clearly a big uh, loss when you're looking at LeBron's, you know, ultimate, you know, goal here, which he said, you know, trying to chase Michael Jordan. I mean, sweep doesn't help there. But I think for Kobe Altman, this season goes down, you know, as a win. I mean, Kyrie put him into a really tough spot last summer. He gets thrown into the job. Dan Gilbert did him no favors. And he applied a series of band-aids, like you just mentioned, to stitch together enough of a supporting cast that LeBron could carry the whole weight. I guess my point is, for LeBron, he doesn't need to be in this band-aid mode, right? And that's the whole beauty of free agency. When you have every team in the league who wants you, you can uh, you know, think uh, outside of what's going to get us through the trade deadline, you know, the Isaiah Thomas thing, or what's going to get us through the first couple rounds of the playoffs. That's why we need to go get a George Hill, or you know, should we take a, you know, a flyer on a guy like Rodney Hood, or uh, you know, is it time to cut bait with Jay Crowder? I mean, those, to me, are the kind of desperation decisions you make when you're backed into a corner, and and the beauty of free agency is he doesn't need to be backed into a corner. He could take all options available uh, and find significantly better situations right now. I think another takeaway for LeBron from these finals will be, despite the tension between Curry and Durant during the Western Conference finals at times, they put it together together very well in the finals. I mean, there was a lot of really nice interplay between Curry and Durant, helped along by Cleveland's uh, you know pretty porous defense. But they were able to succeed together, and they really played nice after they won. You know, Curry did not make an issue out of the whole finals MVP thing publicly. Uh, Kerr kind of covered things, you know, brilliantly by mentioning how Curry had been part of the recruitment for Kevin Durant. And I thought Kevin Durant, even after his huge Game 3 performance, was very quick to defer a lot of the credit to Curry and to make sure everyone, you know, whether it's the, the Curry stands in the fan base or other, you know, media observers, making sure everyone realized that he wasn't trying to hijack Curry's team. He just wanted to be a part of the Warriors. And we've seen players as talented as Curry and Durant. I mean, you almost anticipate a divorce in the NBA when that happens, right? Like the Kobe Shaq example is the the most obvious one, but it's so rare for guys who are both that good to be able to share the limelight and to be okay with sharing the limelight over the course of multiple years. And so far they've done it, and there's really no end in sight. So I think for LeBron, the question he has to ask himself is not just, am I better than KD still? I think the answer is yes. The question is not, am I a better postseason performer than Steph? And I think the answer is still yes. It's, 
who can I play with that will help me take down this Katie Steph monolith, plus all the support structure that supports them, guys like Draymond, uh, you know, Clay Thompson, of course, Iguodala, you know, playing key role minutes, uh, you know, once he came back from injury in the finals. And then also, you know, a great front office and a great coaching staff. I mean, there's only a few teams out there that offer, uh, you know, all that support. And to me, the list is basically Houston, San Antonio and, and Boston. And Philly could get in there, but I think they have some questions with their front office at this point, obviously, given Brian Galangelo's, uh, you know, Twitter detour recently. But I think he needs to be thinking outside of just himself and what works for LeBron. He needs to be thinking through how is he going to be able to compete with a true dynasty here, one he did not see coming in 2014, and who's going to help him take down, you know, Steph and KD. Briefly, I think it was more of a Twitter burnout than a detour, but I I think... (laughs) okay. Still more to talk about with Ben, but first a message from TrueCar. Here are some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage, and you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Weird, right? Well, here's another tip you might not know about. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar is not just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid, so they know if they are getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with TrueCar certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Before we get back to the conversation, I also want to take a little bit of time to remind you about the survey I talked about at the beginning of the show. You can go to www.podcastone.com slash mysurvey, or just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. And it is a very important thing just to keep this free to download with minimal ads. It helps align advertisers with the audience, which is a great thing, and it takes no more than five minutes. So you can definitely check it out. It does Real GM Radio a big favor. And again, this is not feedback on the show. If you listen to the end of the podcast, you'll, you'll find out how to do that. But again, podcast1.com slash my survey or podcast one and click on the survey banner. Be big help to Real Jam Radio. And now back to Ben Golliver. The reason why the threshold is so high for Kevin Durant, and this is the story that I think is, is partially being written right now and needs to be, is Stephen Curry. Because Curry was, for all intents and purposes, a veto player in the Kevin Durant circumstance. Curry was the unanimous league MVP the season immediately preceding Kevin Durant's decision. He had one of the best offensive years in the history of the NBA. They built a team that made sense with him as the linchpin, and Kevin Durant understood that. And the most important part of that conversation that happened in the Hamptons was basically Durant saying, are you cool with this? And Curry saying, I want to do whatever we can to win. And there are a lot of great players for a variety of reasons, whether that is comfort, whether that is the legacy questions that would have said no, that would have not been as active a part of the recruitment as he was. And now, I mean, it's it's a very different story. He doesn't have a finals MVP, but he might not, Curry might not have three championships plus whatever might be coming in the future if he doesn't make that decision to say, hey, you're as good or better, depending on how you want to see it, as I am, and we can make this work. Yeah, and I think that, you know, this is not even a consolation prize, but it's a fact. I mean, he might not have a finals MVP yet, but he could easily win one in any of the next two or three years, right? And how many guys around the league are able to 
confidently feel like they're going to have a real shot to play for a title and be a finals MVP candidate for the next two or three seasons. It's a very, very short list. And I think, you know, if we're being honest, LeBron might not even be on that list anymore, Danny. You know, unless he does something huge this summer, I mean, are, are you confident he's going to walk away uh, with another you know, title and finals MVP. Uh, I'm not, you know, the, the way that, that things have gone for him over these last couple of seasons, uh, you know, I, I would certainly not bet against him ever, but I don't, it's probably more likely than not, right? Or more, uh, less likely than not. So from that standpoint, I think that helps. And Curry saw the bigger picture. It's a real path for LeBron to, you know, learn from uh, in, in this decision. If, you know, sacrifice can go a long, long way and it can carry an organization over multiple seasons. Curry's sacrifice was big. And then also, you know, I think Durant had to sacrifice a little bit too. You know, he's no longer the golden boy like he was in Oklahoma City. He was booed mercilessly when he took the court in Cleveland last night, you know, far more than anyone else. I think the resentment towards him is very unique uh, among, you know, people on the Warriors roster. I think Draymond gets anger of, of sort of a different flavor for some of his antics, but I think a lot of people blame KD for you know, Golden State's overall success and sort of the, the specter of what could be coming here over these next few years. But I think there's lessons from both what Durant decided to do as a free agent and how Curry uh, was willing to take a step back that both would apply uh, for LeBron uh, if he's completely consumed with this idea of winning more titles. And it's also a part of this that Curry and Durant's games fit together incredibly well because both guys can be successful on and off the ball. If Durant had a little bit of a better motor off ball, I think he could get even more baskets just because he does that. But I mean, his game can be intense. And when he tries defensively, of course, that takes a lot out of him as well. And we saw that especially in games three and four of these finals. I thought he applied himself a lot better defensively. And also because the framework that the Warriors built around Curry with players like Iguodala and Draymond Green, who are intelligent, some of the smartest defenders we've ever seen in the league, and also versatile with where the league is going, the Warriors were really fortunate that that same general structure and Steve Kerr's offensive idea that that fit with Durant as well. And I think, you know, that that is kind of the amazing confluence of this whole thing is that it is certainly different and there was the integration and everything else, but it was it was kind of the perfect storm that you had this team that played a new style that players would want to play in that had a star that could fit better with another superstar than almost anyone we've ever seen and the right complimentary superstar and so now you have now you have a dynasty that isn't probably done yet yeah and I think you know a lot of that goes to Kerr I mean I don't know about you but as soon as Durant signed up in 2016 I think I compared it to like you know upgrading from Barnes to Durant was like going from a a tricycle to a Ferrari I mean the fit was so clean before he even got there it was like there may be a month or two where they you know go through and sort of figure it out but the upside, the ceiling on that team together was so preposterously high, and it, it fell into place sort of exactly like expected. And uh, I think that's what makes the Western Conference Finals so much more interesting than the finals because Houston actually, you know, kind of screwed up Golden State's offense, for lack of a better phrase. You know, they kind of short-circuited a little bit at times and got Durant overthinking and got Curry you know, basically off the ball watching a little bit more than we've seen consistently. And I think uh, of, you know, any what anyone's done against Golden State here since Durant's arrival, Houston had by far the most success in making them uncomfortable and making them really work for baskets in limiting and, and kind of taking away for long stretches their best weapons. And I think if there's going to be copycats, I think coming out of this postseason, I think 
what Houston did is going to be sort of the model that other teams are going to try to follow. But I think the inherent difficulty in that is it took Daryl Morey multiple years of very careful planning of having an MVP candidate to help recruit, of being able to convince Chris Paul to make this insane decision financially that it was so unprecedented, you know, compared to other superstars in previous years and have the ability to sort of lure guys probably on discounts in some situations in free agency to come play in Houston and, and ride along. I mean, a lot of things had to go right for Houston to just even get close to pushing Golden State that when you're trying to play that copycat game and saying, oh, we're going to throw out inter- interchangeable lineups and switch everything and, and hopefully you know have uh, the ability to take Golden State up what they want to do, there aren't very many other teams in the league positioned to do that next season. You could even take this from a basic personnel perspective. So the Rockets had the presumptive MVP in James Harden on the perimeter, and then they surrounded him with another All-NBA talent in Chris Paul, and then a bunch of forwards, the hardest thing to find in the entire league. They got two-way forwards, P.J. Tucker and Bob Mute. I wonder how that series would have been different if he hadn't separated his shoulder you know, earlier, earlier in the run, because he was basically a non-factor in that series, and he could have been a big help on Durant in particular, though Reza did a wonderful job. And so the Rockets, I think, are a good template, but just like the Warriors, they're a very, 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 very hard template to match or follow. There might be teams that have an opportunity just because of the free agents that are coming around in the next couple of years, but it's going to be a big challenge. And the funny thing is, you know, to a point, that's what Boston's doing if they can get the offensive talent part right. I think defensively, Boston can have the same approach and maybe even execute it better than the Rockets, but then you need to score at a high level to go after the Warriors and the Rockets too, because they are go- even if you defend them well, they're still going to score. You know, there's no question about it. I don't know about you, Danny, but now that the season is actually officially over and it just ended basically last night um, in the wee hours. I'm immediately excited about free agency. I mean, if it's not clear from my dreams about LeBron and what he wants to do or what Paul George and what really motivates him or can the Lakers be players in this, this should be the best summer we've had since 2014, don't you think? Yeah, I'm I'm really, really excited for this. And there are a lot of different directions it can go. And we know now to anticipate the unexpected. And I'm super excited to have it. So thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, Danny. Anytime. Take care, man. Thanks again to Ben Golver for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read him at Sports Illustrated. You can listen to him on the Open Four podcast that he does with Andrew Sharp, which I really enjoy. And you can follow him on Twitter at Ben Golliver, B-E-N-G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. It's kind of funny because I know a lot of people in my line of work see the end of the finals as really a transition point, and it is a transition point even for me, but it is not a transition point for Real Jam Radio because, A, I am a huge off-season guy, you know, as a CBA expert. It fits in really well. It also fits in well with Real GM, which is part of the reason I started writing for them in the first place, beyond all the other reasons. And... I'm excited to transition Real Jam Radio into that mode. Haven't figured out exactly how I want to tackle all of those different elements. And the idea behind the show is always to make it a little bit more evergreen. And if you want to hear my kind of day-to-day takes, that will always be on Dunked On. And Nate and I are going to do a lot of draft previews and finish up the off-season work. You can also check out my off-season analysis at The Athletic. My team previews for every team are mostly up now. The rest of them are in process and will be up before the draft because that totally changes things and it would be too much to rewrite them at that point. So you can also check out my work at Real GM. I wrote a piece on 
how I do video analysis for prospects, which people have enjoyed just to go. I went through some of the pitfalls I used to make and how I do it at this point. And, you know, the process is always up for, up for adjustment and improvement and everything like that. And I also wanted to not only say what I do, but why. And so got into the idea of sample bias and reflective samples and a lot of that kind of stuff. So I hope you enjoy that. You can also listen to the director's cut kind of, I call it Danny Storytime for patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue, something Nate and I do to support the Twitter MBA show, which is not ad supported, which is now on hiatus until barring something surprising until the beginning of next season. But we also have other content. So you can check that out too. You can also listen to Dunked On, as I mentioned, and I'll have more written work at Real GM. I'll have more at The Athletic and, you know, maybe other places. Who knows? You can also always follow me on Twitter to check that out. And if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do it. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I do not promise I will respond because even though it's the off season, I'm still busy, but I, I do really appreciate it. And I, and I do consider it. I'm sure many people have shared things and they've seen it then in the, in the final product. And I try to respond when I can. There are a lot of different ways that you can support this show. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player for choosing. You can subscribe, download every episode that is particularly good with a show like Real Jam Radio because it comes out at different times. It is depending on guest availability. I know that there are times when people would like it to be more consistent. I can't do it that way. That's not the way this works. So you can subscribe to that. Also, you can spread the word. If there's an episode that you really like, or you just think it's a show that you think is good, you can tell people in person, you can spread the word through social media or the internet, whatever you see fit. I really do appreciate that. And despite having a larger profile now, which I really do appreciate that does really help. And then the other gigantic thing that you can do to help right now in the immediate is go to podcastone.com slash my survey, or just go to podcast one and click on the survey banner. You can do the survey. It's about audience demographics for sales purposes, no more than five minutes, short and completely anonymous. And it's huge for podcast one. It's huge for real jam radio, because these are the ways that we calibrate and try to make everything work. It helps keep the show free to download with minimal ads, help keep my lights on and everything like that. So Again, podcastone.com slash my survey or go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. It's an absolute gigantic thing you can do to help me out. Won't take much of your time and makes a big difference for me. So that's enough for now. Thank you so much for listening now and ideally for the whole season. Hopefully you keep on joining us because there will be plenty of good content every single week. I do not change the timing of this until we get enough ads where I can do this twice a week. And thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Microsoft Surface Pro 8 has the power of a laptop and the versatility of a tablet, all in one. This thin and adaptable device has a touchscreen and a newly designed signature keyboard that can even store your Surface Pen. Surface Pro 8 is Microsoft's most powerful pro yet. Show the world how you stand out with Surface Pro 8. Check it out at surface.com slash Surface Pro 8. Hi, I'm Raj. And I'm Kaylee. And And we're we're a handy handy couple. couple. 
I'm so happy I chose Henny. Our sales associate, Megan, was patient and kind during the whole process, and she helped me pick the perfect ring to give to Kaylee. I'd recommend Henny to anyone looking to find that special ring. Raj proposed on the beach in Cancun, and the ring is absolutely perfect. Thank you, Henny. Check out Henny Jewelers on their website at hennyjewelers.com or follow them on social. Henny Jewelers, they're the jeweler for life.